Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I was thinking about this as you're perusing the coverage of all these contests around the nation. And you start to think about what are some races that may be leading indicators of what's going to happen on November 8th. Is this going to be a red wave? If it's going to be, uh, if it is going to be a red wave, how big is that wave? So a lot of people talk about uh, the various Senate races, some of the governor's races and places that are purple to blue states, the Wisconsin's, the Minnesota's, the New York's. Uh, they look at specific congressional races, like the fact that New York Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, who's the DCCC chairman, Democratic Campaign Committee chairman, is in a dogfight for his seat, which is unusual. Normally, when you have people in leadership positions like that in either party, they, they tend to be from safe seats. Not the case, or at least it's not safe anymore. It is a district that Biden won by 10 points. Uh, now it's just dead heat. Sean Patrick Maloney and his Republican opponent in New York. But the race that's getting almost no attention outside of its service area, which I think could really be a bellwether, not just for November 8th, but maybe for Chicago's mayor's race next year. Yeah. The L.A. mayor's race. We talked about it a bit but when uh, before it went to runoff over the summer. Los Angeles mayor's race. Where, of course, Los Angeles hasn't had a Republican mayor for you know 30 years since Richard Reardon. And that's a, that was sort of anomalous. And you think of California, you think of Los Angeles, you think of the Garcettis and the Garcones, and you think this is another mar- Marxist enclave, stronghold. And yet this billionaire businessman, real estate developer, Rick Caruso, has now pulled into a dead heat with six-time, six-term, I should say, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who was a shortlister to be Biden's vice president. She's a black female, which is how she was a shortlister. I mentioned that because that's the only way she could have been a shortlister right, for that's, Biden's VP, right? You remember? That's how a lot of us got to know her for the first time. But could you imagine the crime and homelessness problem, which is where Car- Caruso is focusing? He's you know sort of a soft Republican based on his voting record. It's a nonpartisan race, technically, but everybody knows who everybody is. He spent uh, something like $80 million of his own money. But nonetheless, uh, despite his spending advantage, you still have a 4-to-1 partisan advantage for Karen Bass, and she's in a dead heat. And here's a, a good example of why she's in a dead heat. Karen Bass talking about the homeless problem in Los Angeles with Jake Tapper and what should be done about it. Why have things gotten worse? Why is crime and homelessness worse in Los Angeles now? 
Well, let, let me just tell you, homelessness really exploded a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic and certainly through the pandemic. But you know what? I just don't even imagine, I can't even imagine what L.A. would have been like if we did not have the American Rescue Plan. So all of the resources around COVID allowed us to do an experiment that I hope that we keep which is doing master leasing of motels and hotels where you lease out all of the rooms <laughs> and you put people who were on the streets in the uh, hotels and motels. We've been able to get thousands of people off the streets, and this needs to be expanded tremendously. Is she blind? I mean, there's still tens of thousands of people still living on the streets in Los Angeles. Right, so she wants to scale uh-huh. this uh, pilot program, much like Triple Threat and... Tony, 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 you want to scale their universal basic income programs. She wants to scale this citywide. Three things she said there, though. One, it's all COVID's fault. And that's not flying, particularly with crime, because it's not a true state. Get over it, people. Uh, Number two, spend, spend, spend the American Rescue Plan, sending funny money to the states and localities which is why we have double-digit inflation effectively right now, at least at the the grocery store. And then number three, the idea of a city takeover of hotels. And you say, well, no, 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 they're just saying um, will the city will offer to pay for hotel rooms for homeless people. Number one, uh, no. whether or not the city can afford it, that's secondary. Number two, that's not what she's saying. What is she saying? We covered the story back at the end of August because CNN actually covered it. There's a ballot measure that's scheduled for L.A. in the 24 election about homeless people living in hotels with, uh, with where, where hotels have room openings. This is, actually, this is how it actually goes down. Listen to an industry rep for the hotels in L.A., Versus the union boss that's, of course, with Karen Bass supporting this. In Los Angeles County, more than 60,000 people are homeless on the average night. And more than 20,000 hotel rooms lie empty on the average night. See where this might be going? It's, it's just, it's insane. Um, it, it isn't going to solve the problem. We think this is one part of the solution. By no means do we think this solves a homelessness crisis. But do hotels have a role to play? Of course they do. So the union he leads, which reps hotel workers, gathered enough signatures and Angelinos will vote on a bill that would force every hotel in town to report vacancies at 2 p.m. every day, then welcome homeless people into those vacant rooms. We don't want to head backwards into the segregated South, but that's kind of the language that they're talking about. There's a certain class of people, less than humans, animals, they almost describe them as, to be honest with you. They don't seem to understand who the unhoused are. We're talking again about seniors, students, working people. That's who the voucher program would benefit the most. See, um, two wow. things there. One, okay. first of all, to compare this to Jim Crow is uh, segregation is, is just insulting but that's what that's what these politicians and left-wing union bosses do they insult your intelligence number two the key there we should scale this program oh it's a voucher force hotels right force hotels i was thinking this whole time what about the hotel owners or the managers do they want this do they want this kind of clientele this kind of business 
No, and they're, they the CNN piece, remember, this is CNN, interviewed a hotel owner who showed yeah. you what happened to a hotel when homeless people were uh, – uh, were compelled. Uh, he was compelled to rent to uh, you know rent out a room right. to homeless people. It was trashed. They, it was trashed. That's exactly right. But so so now 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 scale this back. Karen Bass is in a dead heat in L.A. with Rick Caruso. It's ideas like this that explain why she is. So I just I, that's why I just raise this issue because I think it has implications potentially nationally because we're talking about the lawlessness in big cities that consume their suburban areas that is driving the Republican advantage going into November 8th. And number two, when you get back to big cities having their elections, other big cities that don't do it, that do it in off years like Chicago, um, don't forget about what happens, what's happening in L.A. And whatever happens, it's going to be much closer than it's been in a long time in L.A., and it's ideas like this that are the reason. It it seems to me there's an opportunity for, you know, somebody like Paul Vallis, who sort of has a centrist perspective and, and center-right perspective on matters economic, that you need to exploit these ridiculous gambits that these big city mayors have gone on. The lawlessness is sort of a gateway to all these other government expansions to try to paper over the lawlessness and also extend the power of the city over people's lives, particularly just, the lives and, and property, particularly the property of business owners. We just want someone with common sense and someone who's not an embarrassment to this city with the goofy karaoke. Like yesterday they did this goofy how to protect your kids for Halloween press conference. I mean, it's just, it's just please stop. We're adults. We can handle our own children. You don't need to act like a child and do freaking TikToks. You're embarrassing your daughter. Yeah. And the people in this city. Adults don't do TikTok dances, please. Yeah. Uh, Are we we adults in Chicago? Or is it appropriate to talk to us like we're students in romper room? I'm not sure. Jim in Crown Point. Um, I have a quick story. Uh, I work at a building downtown, and they order food. And uh, somebody ordered food and didn't pick it up. So the guy said, here's the sandwiches. I said, well, I, there's a lady out front, and I'll give them to her. She's homeless. So I go out to her. I, get, I say, would you like these sandwiches? And she said, oh, no, I couldn't eat that, but do you have a 20? Uh, <laughs> these people don't they don't care about food. Their lives are over. If somebody is homeless with children, they're going to bust their tail to get out of that. The people you see on the streets – they live for today. They don't well, even care. Yeah, I mean, well, some it, would it, take the sandwich, but yeah. Th- thanks for it, the homelessness. The homelessness is a complicated problem, but that's not the point. That the, the point is the city's approach to it, to impose their will, regardless of potential consequences and all the complications, on private property owners who have no capacity to deal with a complicated program like homelessness. This isn't like a, a homeless shelter with social workers and uh, programs. This is a hotel. This, these are sp- uh, largely going to be small operators of hotels trying to make a living. But that doesn't matter to politicians like Karen Bass. And the same can be said of the politicians in Chicago. 
It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Governor Spaulding was at Morton West High School in Berwyn yesterday. That's where uh, his State Board of Education chairman was before she was leveled up to be State Board of Education, Carmen Ayala. Yep, that's why they chose it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's certainly not because of the academic performance. Uh, Did we find out, uh, Amy, since uh, you were on hand, did we find out where the governor has come down on if he was reelected, what he would do about imposing the COVID vax as part of the vaccination schedule uh, that kids must comply with in order to go to school? Yes, that's the first question I asked. We're not currently requiring that. That's something that goes through the General Assembly. All of the vaccination requirements are uh, heard by the General Assembly, decided upon by the General Assembly. Uh, And so it's obviously something we're listening to doctors uh, about and making sure we're making the right decisions, but at this point, not required. Yeah, but how do you feel about it, Pritzker? I think we should follow the scientists and doctors. That's what I've been doing all along. Make sure that we're doing the right thing here. You know, the CDC has made a recommendation. That's true. Uh, But, you know, this is a process that we need to consider. Obviously, all across the state, uh, we have representatives who want to be heard on this subject. I think it's appropriate. Since when did we have three branches of government in Illinois? I was... Oh, you're not a tyrant anymore? You're not going to make this executive uh, decision? Well, that's uh, that's a fair point. And the other question is, well, I, yeah, no, the representatives can be heard and you can be heard at the same time. He's we all die. have the right to speak our mind, Governor. I, I don't know if you know. We'd like to know your opinion right. because you're going to uh, be, be communicating. Decision. Well, you're at minimum, you're going to be communicating with these legislators. Um, you're obviously going to stake out a position. You're not just going to sit back and whatever they decide, you're just going to rubber stamp, are you? No, of course not, because you're a leader. So if you're a leader and you're a COVID expert, which you've certainly held yourself out to be following particular doctors over the last three years, then just tell us. It's very interesting that Prisker doesn't want to tell us that he will include the COVID vaccine on the vaccine schedule. It's very interesting that he doesn't want to commit to that right now, 10 days before an election. Why do you think that is? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Could the worm be turning on this? Well, a lot of parents wanted to know this answer. I am included as a parent. And every CDC recommendation, Dan, that has come down, we hold to high esteem. And so you know he's going to do it. He's just too afraid and a coward and won't come out and say it. Why? 
because he doesn't want to lose the election. He doesn't want to lose no. one vote. So, so, no, no, lose one vote. What's the net net? So this is my question. Are you suggesting that there has been a public opinion shift on the issue? Because in this state, this governor gets high marks for locking the state down. He has up until and through most of this election cycle. My question is, do you sense that there is a shift in opinion about what has transpired over the last three years and what people will abide going forward? That's my question. Because, I, you know, the whole COVID thing is very interesting in terms of how people are processing it, particularly those who bought into the hysteria, mm-hmm. who were, you know, addled by fear, and some of them who still are. Even if they have come to the conclusion now after watching this play out where all the things that Covidians like J.B. Pritzker said, repeating what the Tony Fauci's of the world were saying, most all of them turned out not to be true, like, for example, the vaccine preventing transmission uh, and this being a pandemic of the unvaccinated and so on and so forth. That turned out not to be true. However, if I was one of those just trumpeting the talking points from D.C. that J.B. was trumpeting, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable admitting my fault. And maybe I want to keep up appearances the way that J.B. Pritzker does. Or maybe I'm having a change of heart and I'm willing to say, you know what, quietly. I don't have to make some public apology like J.B. Pritzker should. But maybe I just, or maybe I should say, maybe I say, no, I'm going to quietly make a different move here. Now I understand that I was being led down a, not a primrose path, but led down the road to the gates of hell by this governor, and I'm going to reverse course. I don't know where people are at. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And Tom DeVore, I t- spoke with him yesterday. He's the attorney running for, obviously, Illinois Attorney General. He said "What the, the rule is the General Assembly doesn't add vaccines to the list. The director of IDPH can create the requirement merely by a rules change. So Pritzker can make this a requirement without the legislature. So is he being dumb, stupid, lying? I mean, what no, is he? Or a no, little bit of both? Or? He's not, no, he he's doesn't want to make the, his decision known. He doesn't want to make his position known. That's the Until point. after the election. And so, so does that mean that more people are coming to their senses and it's too close a call for him to make 10 days before the election. That that may be what it means. That's the most logical explanation to me. Got a text message. After 24-plus months of executive orders, now he's pointing to hiding behind the General Assembly and looking for input? Don't let him fool you. Vote him out. Well, I, right. Everything here is a scam. So Everything's you, a scam. You the whole have press to, conference is a scam. You have to start from that understanding or things never make sense. Every... Nothing is what it appears to be No, in Illinois politics because, again, borrowing from Boss, that great Kelsey Grammer show that lasted only a couple seasons, a change on the outside to protect continuity on the inside. We're giving the appearance of change. So he's giving you the appearance that we're going to change the way uh, this administration governs, and it's going to be uh, – inclusive and solicitous of General Assembly input. He wants to give you the appearance of three branches of government, the appearance that this is a deliberative process. But, of course, 
He's just, as you said, buying time mm-hmm. to impose his will if he were reelected. That's he's, what's actually happening. He's such, a, I mean, if people vote for him, I, I don't know. If he wins again, I don't know what I'm going to do, honestly. Because he is, that whole press conference yesterday, and you know this more than anyone, was such smoke and mirrors, celebrating wonderful, you know, graduation rates here at Morton West High School. But the real numbers, and you know what the real numbers are, what, 20% efficiency in reading, 10% efficiency in math, and yet 72% graduated? Hmm, do the numbers. What are we celebrating here? Why are we here? And I challenged the reporters next to me and said, you know this is a scam, right? And the we knew, we know. And they were pressing back. They were asking questions like, no, but how can that be? And then the truancy rate's up high, especially for Latino and black children. And the, their whole reasoning was, oh, it's you know, because of COVID. That that's all happening. Everything, all roads lead back to COVID. That, Everything. That, that virus did this all to us. We did nothing to ourselves. That's what you want to believe? That's what a lot of people want to believe. We're going to see how many. I mean, listen to this bulge eye from Pritzker. I almost had it, got up and walked out. Some students were falling behind in their learning goals. Some students had suffered insurmountable grief and trauma, losing parents, friends, and loved ones. Meanwhile, school attendance was challenged as students and teachers did what they needed to do to stay safe. And yeah, no, it well, saves one life. It's a, it's a story of heroism on, on the part of politicians, COVIDian politicians like J.B. Pritzker, and the teachers' union, Flax, who run the program. But we weren't all grieving a loss of a level. We were grieving the loss of life, you know, just normal activity for two yeah. years. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so off base. He's telling a stylized mm-hmm. story that people have bought. It's the same stylized story he was telling from the lectern for two years. Why would he stop now? Yeah, it's worked know. so far. And maybe it's starting to get a little bit choppy. So I'll just punt on the COVID vax mandate piece for K through 12 until I'm compelled to make a decision. Which will be after the election, I think. If, right. I mean, he can make a decision as a lame duck. But, of course, that would be, could be uh, easily rescinded by Darren Bailey if he were elected. So this is why – excuse me. Uh, so this is why – uh, just another reason, another issue that's on the ballot. And one wonders if, like the lawlessness, if, as it is with the Safety Act, his purge law, people are starting to realize the games that have been run by this governor and this political ruling class in Illinois. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of branches to... You know, sort of dead wood to clear out of the minds of many. So I don't, I don't know. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, Dan and Amy. This, I don't even want to call him a fool because this, this cat is just out there. He had the nerve to actually stand up there yesterday and try to imply that somehow the education system in this state is on the improve. Anyone that votes for this guy or listens to this guy is a fool, and the idea that he won't put some kind of vaccine mandate on children after he wins is anyone that believes that, that he hasn't made his decision already is lost. Thanks for the call, Tom. Well, there are a lot of people that are lost. The question is how many. Uh, Speaking of the schools and the unions, uh, did you see that uh, Chicago Teachers Union 
Deputy Director for Political Affairs, mm-hmm. Brandon Johnson, announced his candidacy for mayor of the city of Chicago. Yeah. Yep. This is Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson in 2013 talking about his organizing and the union and the red shirts and wearing those red shirts proudly. Take a listen. Convincing our members to wear a red T-shirt on Friday was a task. It took us a year to convince CTU members that it's okay to associate yourself with labor. The baby socialists would just wear the buttons, right? You know, we got to, you know, start them off, you know, <laughs> gently. <laughs> and so eventually they started putting on red T-shirts. And so building that, that sense of consciousness. That ba- the baby socialists is the a particular phrase I like. Because that's what the Chicago Teachers Union and all these teachers unions are in the business of. And that's who J.B. Pritzker is in alliance with mm-hmm. when it comes to governance of K-12 through education. Those unions whose business it is to take your baby and turn him into a socialist, start with the pins and work their way up to the red shirt. John Naperville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday I was just going through the internet and I was looking at some of the stats for COVID cases in Illinois. And it's kind of weird that we're still at a place where when we were still in the draconian lockdown, there's still the, the same number of cases. So why not still the draconian lockdown? If it was so horrible, we needed to draconian lockdowns. We got the same number of cases as we did during those lockdowns. So I don't understand what changed other than it's not politically expedient to do the lockdown still. Thanks for the call, John. Well, I'll tell well, you. They couldn't it, lock us down forever, and they realize that kids need to be in school because they're a low-risk group. No, they don't realize that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's not why kids are in school. Are it has nothing school? to do with it, the, the development of children. It has everything to do with what they think is politically feasible because kids are in school, and they're, not a low, and they're a low-risk group. That's why they made the decision. Come on. Talk, uh, well, all the states now, around now you're them buying, are... now, now you're buying the fraud. No, well, uh, well no, seriously. What, they, no, seriously. They opened schools because they had to politically because their careers would have been destroyed. I believe that about sports because that day D- Dylan Buckner committed suicide. We went in there and everyone's f- head was on fire like, you're starting sports up now. Enough is enough. And that's after every school kid, you know, from whether you're up here or down, down south, everyone made these, you know, TikToks. Saying reopen Illinois, reopen our schools, let us pl- let us play was the the hashtag. Let us play. So yeah, he had no right. choice, and he walked in Pl- there with his freaking tail between his legs, like a little puppy. Like, okay, we're gonna open up sports now. Okay, Ugh. right. Political pressure. Right. That's what it takes. This is not a discussion on the merits. They don't operate on the merits, and they don't care. It's I mean- political pressure. That is the only thing they respond to. By the way, per John in Naperville, I, I saw a story that, oh, good gosh, uh, only 6% of PG, pediatric ICU beds are available in Illinois because of the RSV virus. And what did they say? That's Respiratory because we kept kids away from other kids. There were no, you know, no one, germs were bad, so we kept so, kids locked up. That's why so, RSV is on the rise. So, so we have respiratory syncytial virus on the rise, which is, and many, with children, more serious than COVID. So where, where are the lockdowns? I'd be interested to hear the answer to that question from those COVIDians. Mike in Union. 
was the same governor that offered free French fries and was going to give a lottery to everybody with the vaccine. This, this guy's a joke. I mean, uh, am I not wrong, Dan? Did he not offer French fries for everybody with the vaccine? Maybe that'll be his first move uh, if he does win re-election. Right. Well, they offered the free Great out. America tickets. They offered, you know, $50, and it went to 100 Then you get a cape that says, I'm a super COVID fighter. Yeah. There were more, oh, more yeah. prizes than Wheel of Fortune provides. Karen in Beecher. Good morning. Uh, okay, since March 13th, 2020, till just this August, here's what I'm grieving. I am grieving for common sense. Not only from my whole school district that I used to work for, uh, also my legislators. I'm grieving for common sense and leadership from my churches. I'm grieving for common sense and leadership from my community leaders. That's what I'm grieving for, Mr. Uh, Kritzker. And I'm also grieving for all of us business owners who had to suffer through what he uh, put us through. Uh, The lack of common sense and the lack of absolute leadership, and for them to turn the tables on this, like we didn't live through this since March 13th, 2020. Thanks for the call, Karen. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You switch to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, your kids' education is on the ballot. Another angle into the larger point of civilization being on the ballot on November 8th. I asked Pritzker, by the way, yesterday, do you think we live in a civilized society? And would you let your kids take the CTA? (laughs) Didn't answer the question. Willard Elementary School in River Forest has started a gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transsexual club for its students. Willard Elementary School. For its students aged 7 to 10. Not the middle school, the elementary? Ew. 7 to 10, uh, about 7 years old. Is that when you want your kids to start exploring their sexuality, sexual identity? You want to have a club with uh, some uh, apparatchik from the local teachers' union driving them to 
reconsider their gender and so forth, or just talk about uh, the uh, anal sex, yeah, the what's and wherefores, yeah, of carnal relations. Sure, you do. Please join us Wednesday in room 106 from 11:20 to 12:20 for Rainbow Club. Be sure to bring your lunch. Room 106 in Willard is uh, Willard Elementary's preschool room. Of course it is. The club will be hosted by preschool teacher Victoria Bynum and school psychologist Karen Kraska. Uh, oh, my God, no. They're babies. They're in second freaking grade when you're seven years old. Yeah, they're babies, like the socialist babies that Brandon Johnson's talking about. you got to get to them. Let's get to it. Willard uh, Elementary in River Forest is a you know really good school. You know, it's in River Forest, Tony River Forest, with the tree-lined streets and Big front all yards. those successful professionals. Okay. Rainbow Club for seven-year-olds at Willard Elementary. It's on the ballot. Choose your path. Evanston, Skokie, District 65. Using condoms effectively, a lesson plan from rights, respect, and responsibility, a K-12 through curriculum. As somebody asked yesterday when we were talking about K-12, you know, what is it exactly they're teaching? Because, you know, based on the performance on the aptitude test when it comes to core subjects like reading and math. This, this is what, what do you mean, what do they teach? This is what they're teaching. They have a, this, what I'm reading from is the lesson plan for the teachers, in Evanston, Skokie, 65, for eighth graders. Advanced preparation for a lesson. Print out enough copies of the handout condom steps for every three students to have a full set. Cut out the individual steps and place the entire setup into an envelope. If you have not performed a condom demonstration in front of a class, it's a good idea to practice at home. Dear Lord. Confirm with your supervisor or district policy that you are allowed to do a condom demonstration. Consider showing the How to Use Condoms video from Amaze.org. By the end of the lesson, students will be able to, quote, to number one, describe correctly and in order the steps of using an external condom. Number two, describe how an internal condom is used. For eighth graders in uh, District 65, Evanston Skokie. Is that what you think your eighth graders are learning? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. It's not the only thing eighth graders are learning in Evanston Skokie District sixty five, Dan. They're learning other things too. It's right. not just all about condoms and anal sex. I know. I know. They're also learning what's racism got to do with it. That's a reading, class. Reading from a PowerPoint. Okay. Uh, it's uh, taken from Advocates for Youth. It's part of the Evanston-Skokie District 65 curriculum for 8th graders. What is racism? And it's defined. Um, blah, 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 blah. Social institutional power, blah, 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 blah. The fun part is the examples because there's different kinds of racism. Mm-hmm. There's uh, interpersonal. There's internalized and they're structural. So there's structural, interpersonal, and internalized. What are those? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. Hmm. Let's provide some examples, shall we, class? 
Yeah. Racism and sexual health. Last year, my neighborhood school, or excuse me, last year, my neighborhood changed our school zones and I had to change schools. All my friends stayed. And on top of that, this year was when I was supposed to start sex ed. My new school doesn't have sex ed. And when I asked my teacher, he said the school can't afford it. I'm worried I won't be as informed as my friends at my old school. <laughs> you know what that is? Mm. That's structural racism. Yeah, I don't get that habit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> do you want to hear an example of institutional racism? Of course you do. Yeah, you know, I was just going to ask, how did you know? The nurse at my school came to talk to our class about birth control. She started the lesson asking me what kind of birth control I was on in front of the whole class. When I told her none, and she smirked and continued her talk without asking anyone else, I'm the only non-white person in my class. Dun, dun, dun. You know what that is? Institutional racism? Interpersonal racism. Interpersonal racism. This is why this this, uh, practicum is so important. Uh... Give you another example. You want to move on? One time, my brother and his boyfriend. Uh oh. Of course, it's his boyfriend. His brother. One time, my, bro- okay, One so. time my brother and his boyfriend okay. went to the local blood drive, and they were denied. They were told, "quote We can't accept black gay blood standard procedure," and they were asked to leave. <laughs> uh huh. Give me a break. Now, is that structural, institutional, this? interpersonal, or internalized? I think that's. These are not diff- these are not uh, easy. I know. Uh, internalized. It's institutional. Institu- oh, sorry, institutional. Mm. No. <clears throat> Give you another example. Just you know, so you get the hang of this. Okay, I- I'm going to get this one right. I promise. So you can reinforce at home what is happening in your kids' schools because I know that's what y'all want to do. I loved my long locks until I didn't. After hearing everyone at home calling it "pelo malo," bad hair. <laughs> Oh, hello, Malo. Of course they did. And my guidance counselor saying I would never be able to get a good job. I cut it all off. Nothing wrong with a clean cut, I guess. What's that? Internal. Internalized racism. Exactly right. Right, but nobody does that. Are you getting the hang of it? This is such a bunch of bull jive. You're getting the hang of it. Uh, Hypotheticals. Okay. Now, of course, the only problem I have with uh, some of what you've heard so far yes. has to do with that uh, Rainbow Club at the uh, Willard School. Mm-hmm. That Willard, oh, you know, the Rainbow Club they're ho- hosting at the preschool room at the Willard Elementary School in River yeah. Forest. My friend's daughter went there. Uh, LGBTQ, however, what I didn't hear, and this, you know, if I was sending my kid to the Rainbow Club, which I'm sure many River Forest parents will well, be excited won't. to do. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I would have a question. Maybe you want to chaperone your kid so that you can expand to make sure it's as inclusive as possible. Because lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, <laughs> that's not nearly enough. Hello, abrosexual, ace flux, agender, ambiamorous, androgynous, arosi, Aeroflux, aromantic, asexual, uh, demi-fluid, demi-gender, demi-girl, demi-romantic, demisexual, 
gay, MLM, Venetian. Can't keep up. What Venetian? Gender fluid, gender flux, gender queer, gender questioning, gray sexual, intersex, maverick, neutrosis, non-binary, omnisexual, pangender, pansexual, polyamorous, polysexual, trigender, two-spirit, progress pride, queer, and unlabeled. I think I'm I mean, a grandsexual. Gray sexual? What's up? Gray sexual, yeah. That's me, if, totally. If you're, if you're not... I mean, if if you're not going to include everybody, then let's not even do this. You know what I mean? Let's get serious, Willard School in River Forest. So myopic. Very troubling to me. Glenn in Oakbrook, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I'm going to read something from Allie Beth Stuckey, which uh, is very pertinent. She goes on to say, Normal adults don't tell kids to keep secrets from their parents. Normal adults have no inclination to talk to five- to nine-year-olds who are not their children about sex and gender switching. Perverts and predators do. And I completely agree with that. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Something else, too, I mean, you may want uh, to consider if you're not uh, super enthused about the curriculum at Evanston-Skokie District 65 or the Rainbow Club at Willard Elementary in River Forest. And those are but two examples of what's happening everywhere. Lie to yourself if you'd like. Um, We've talked about the national report card that's out in the National Association of Educational Progress, National Assessment, excuse me, of Educational Progress tests that were released Monday. And we've been talking about it all week because of how far back kids are thanks to, uh, well, thanks to, just how K through 12 education works in America, particularly during COVID when it didn't work at all. Uh, Catholic schools. Catholic yeah, what's schools. What's going on there? Uh, we talked about it in real time during the shutdowns that um, Catholic schools came online much, much faster than did most of the government schools. In point of fact, um, by the fall of 2020, more than 92% of Catholic schools had reopened for in-person learning compared with 43% of traditional public schools. It turns out that, along with just what happens normally inside the walls of the various systems, makes a big difference. If um, all U.S. Catholic schools were a state, their 1.6 million students would rank first in the nation across the reading and math test scores for 4th and 8th graders. Hmm. Catholic schools now boast the nation's highest scale scores on all four NAEP test. The average score among fourth graders in Catholic schools was 17 points higher than the national public school average. That translates to about one and a half grade levels ahead. In eighth grade reading, the average score for Catholic students was 20 points higher than the national public school average, which is about two grade levels ahead. When disaggregated by race, Catholic schools showed significant gains since 2019. Achievement among black students enrolled in Catholic schools increased by 10 points, an extra year's worth of learning. Black students in public schools lost five points during the same period. Increased by 10, lost five. On eighth grade reading tests, Hispanic students in Catholic schools gained seven points since 19. Hispanic students in public schools lost a point. Yeah. And the point, uh, just to remind you about Catholic schools, This isn't about Catholicism. I'm not proselytizing for the faith. Um, We don't teach people, uh, you know, it's the old um, uh, Michael Borland line about, um, uh, you know, being non-denominational 
in terms of the students that are welcome at Catholic schools. It's not because they're Catholic. It's because we're Catholic, as Monsignor Bolin uh, used to say, the head of uh, Catholic Charities. It's not because they're Catholic. It's because we're Catholic, and we have this mission when it comes to preparing kids to be successful, independent adults. And the Catholic schools, and there are exceptions, and it's not without controversy, and there's not without internal problems and susceptibility to the same nonsense we were just going over in Evanston, Skokie, and in River Forest. However, on balance, it's not a close call. So uh, if you are thinking about getting out, you should consider keeping, uh, you, should, you should keep thinking about it and perhaps act on it, getting your kid out of these K-12 through indoctrination camps. Bill in LaSalle County. Hey, Dan, as you were going off that list of uh, the gender pronouns, LGBTQ thing, I kept thinking, because you were rambling off so fast, it sounded like that Billy Joel song, you know, <laughs> we didn't start the fire. <laughs> we did ignite it, but we tried to fight it. Thanks for the call, Bill. Bob, Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Amy and Dan. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I don't know if I should go here. You mentioned uh, uh, racism, but uh, last night I got uh, an email from uh, Wirepoint, and uh, they had a discussion or a list of um, performance of the students. One of the takeaways was the disparity between um, blacks, Hispanics, and whites. And um, yeah, I think you know the new. numbers and how they how they play out. And then your discussion on Catholic schools. Um, I'm involved in a big engineering competition for the last 30 years. And uh, in the la last several years, Catholic schools just dominate the competition. There's one in Park Ridge that won the competition three years in a row. Thanks for the call, Bob. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. See Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and contrasting what's happening in Florida, what's happening in Illinois. One more issue on which we're 180 degrees apart, ballot integrity. Governor uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida, you know, he announced a number of electoral reforms in advance of this year's midterms. Among them, he created a new election crimes unit. Well... Uh, that election crimes unit is already paying dividends because a Democrat has blown the whistle on an alleged ballot harvesting scheme. And now that election crimes unit is recommending the state police open a full investigation. The Democrat whistleblowers complaint of a long running widespread ballot harvesting operation in black communities in the politically important area of central Florida. Former Orange County commissioner candidate Cynthia Harris filed a sworn affidavit in late August with the Secretary of State's office alleging that illegal operations to collect third-party ballots have been going on for years in Orlando in the Orlando area where voting rights where excuse me where voting activists are paid ten dollars for each ballot they collect she described this intricate system funded by left-leaning organizations that dispatch ballot brokers into black communities to pressure voters to turn over their ballots 
The $10 fee per ballot is divvied up among the parties who help complete the harvesting. Um, I can tell you that this stuff goes on in Chicago and Illinois as well. But uh, you have to have people come forward and point to it. And you have to have election authorities that are interested in interdicting it in the in advance of free and fair elections, which the left talks so much about. But there's no but, appetite for that here. No, they talk a lot about it. it's very much like uh, it's very much like gun crimes. They talk a lot about gun crimes. But then when it comes to somebody who's actually committed a crime with a gun, they're not so interested in prosecuting. No. Yeah, the disconnect. They protect them more than the victim. Yeah. Somebody who is uh, not surprised to hear of this ballot harvesting story coming out of Florida is our next guest. He's Dinesh D'Souza. Of course, you know him, critically acclaimed filmmaker and New York Times bestselling author. He has just released 2,000 Mules. They thought we'd never find out they were wrong. 2,000 Mules, the book. Uh, the book uh, goes beyond the successful 2,000 Mules documentary and provides more depth, as books are able to do. Dinesh, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Uh, hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that uh, story out of Florida, I'm sure, uh, does not come as any surprise to you. No, in fact, um, everything you described, and I saw something about the article, but I'm a little behind on it. The article is laying out a scheme that is exactly the scheme that is described in the movie 2000 Mules and in more detail in the accompanying book. Uh, we focused on five key uh areas, five key states, uh, Georgia, Arizona, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which were the battleground states for the 2020 election. But obviously, we were aware that this could and probably was going on in a much more widespread way. Uh, we just applied the lens of the camera to those specific areas and sure enough found a, a great deal of election fraud. I watched the movie, too, with uh, Mar Largo with you and President Trump, and uh, I was just fascinated. He was locked in and did not even swivel in his chair during that whole you know, premiere of the movie. But I was so just flabbergasted at the voter fraud that was going on and the, the footage that you obtained from surveillance cameras of people coming with stacks of ballots and trying to shove them in the ballot box. So wh where did they get all those ballots, and were they paid to, to fill those out, or how did it work? Because I, I felt like I missed that part. Yeah, that part was, was touched on in the movie um, by Catherine Engelbrecht, who said that they were paid uh, a varying amount, but by and large $10 a ballot. So the exact same sum that you just quoted out of that uh, description in, in Florida. And um, where did they get the ballots? So the mules, the mules are delivery men. They're the people who take the ballots, uh, from a left-wing nonprofit center and deposit them in these drop boxes. Now, you'd need further investigation. In fact, you'd need law enforcement to know exactly where these left-wing organizations got ballots because the first thing to know is that left-wing nonprofits, you know, nonprofit organizations are prohibited from engaging in direct partisan activity. They can, in, gen in a general sense, get out the vote, but they can't get out the vote for Biden. Um, and that's clearly what was going on here. The second thing is it's not legal to pay mules. And right. so if $10 is being paid per ballot, that means that that is illegal activity across the board. And, um, and you can look at voter fraud cases over the past 10 years to see where these people get ballots, because there are about seven or eight obvious places to get ballots. Nursing homes is a big one. 
homeless shelters is a big one, campuses is a big one. These are places where people either move a lot or ballots are mailed out, and these people don't really care about the ballots. So all you have to do is collect them and fill them out, and nobody is the wiser. In some cases, these people may not even know, quote, they voted. Well, and the the get-out-the-vote piece, I just wanted to uh, develop that a bit more so people understand it. These nonprofits that are just, you know, rocking the vote and getting out the vote and all this. Yeah, they they are very specific where they try to get out the vote in in, uh, environments where they know they're winning six, seven, eight, nine out of ten votes if they turn them out. And they're not getting out the vote in areas that are 50-50 or worse. So, I mean, it's de facto partisan politics. Now, this is a very subtle point you raised, because that is also true of the location of these drop boxes. When Mark Zuckerberg came in with $500 million, um, he made it seem like, oh, I'm just trying to get people to exercise their civic duty. But his people were able to use the muscle, the leverage of that money to say, we want drop boxes to be in the inner cities. We want uh, ads to get out the vote to be in non-English, uh, in non-English speaking languages. Uh, we want our left-wing activists to be allowed access to the administrative offices of the election. Think about this. Zuckerberg's people were in Wisconsin running the election. No one even contemplated this. No one, in fact, no one thought to make it illegal because no one thought anyone would have the chutzpah to do this. So this was, a, in my opinion, a gross violation of the mechanics of a free election. And, you know, it's funny because I and other people over in the past have been, you know, chased around for, oh, you gave $20,000 over the campaign finance limit. Here's a guy putting half a billion dollars essentially to rig the 2020 election. And uh, um, with respect to the Republican response to what happened in 2020, what's documented substantially in your film, um, what kind of grade would you give the Republican response? And I, I presume it's there are going to be different grades in different states. But generally speaking, do you think the Republican Party is taking this ballot integrity issue as seriously as it should? No. I mean, I think that the reaction in the Republican base has been terrific and very concerned. And, you know, I'll speak at Republican events, and these are mainstream, you know, their typical annual Lincoln dinner and so on. Speak to a thousand people. I won't get a single dissenter. Everybody who hears me talk goes, wow, that's important. That needs to be looked into and so on. Now, contrast this with the Republican uh, elected officials in the House, in the Senate, apart from a handful of congressmen and a couple of senators, they're sort of scared of the movie. And they're scared of the movie because they're scared of the topic. They want to move on. They don't want to talk about 2020. And so, uh, you know, not a word about the film from Kevin McCarthy, not a word from Mitch McConnell. So I think the reason for this is that many of these people were not unhappy or not totally unhappy with the result of 2020. Why? Because Republicans down ballot did pretty well, but Trump lost. So their hope was, okay, this is not so bad. Biden will be horrible. The American people will revolt. They'll bring the Republicans back in, but this time without Trump. So perfect outcome. So the anti-Trump faction, not just the never-Trumpers, but the people who never really wanted Trump in the Republican Party are the people who want to, who do not want at all costs to revisit the 2020 election. Why yeah. couldn't they arrest the people who were paying the mules to drop off those ballots? And in the movie, there was a fascinating part, too, where one guy went to 20 different ballot boxes in one night. 
Exactly. So the responsibility to do that would come from one of two places, either uh, Merrick Garland's DOJ, which has no interest in pursuing this at all. They've all kind of solemnly declared it's the most secure election in history, so you can't get anything out of that. But the problem is that the, the, the focus of the film was in heavily Democratic precincts, right? We didn't even look at Georgia, the state. We looked at Atlanta, which encompasses about four counties. We also looked at Maricopa County in Phoenix, the Detroit area of uh, Michigan, Milwaukee area of Wisconsin, and then Philadelphia. So these are places that are sort of completely controlled by the Democrats, uh, Democratic Secretary of State very often, Democratic Attorney General. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule, one of which was, of course, Mark Burnovich in Arizona, Republican Attorney General. He could have pursued this. But for whatever reason, he didn't really show much interest in it. Um, he asked for some data. He got some data. They did nothing. True, the vote became frustrated. So both in Georgia and Arizona, where there were opportunities for law enforcement to move forward, things have gotten stalled, unfortunately. Well, and the, this uh, Republican dithering that you describe, boy, it's pretty short-sighted, isn't it? Even if you're anti-Trump, fine. But then two years later, you've got key Senate races, you have key governor's races. And if you don't change the way the system operates, then you make it vulnerable to the same sort of scams to affect races you do care about and candidates you do care about at the state and local level. And so I wonder if you think what you documented in 2020 is going to be visited upon us again on November 8th, visited upon us again in 2024? Well, the, there is some good news on a couple of fronts. Well, certainly there have been some election integrity laws, and they've done some good. The awareness of the film and now the book is very helpful because people you know, know what's going on. And when, just when you know what's going on, when the public does, it's harder to pull this stuff off. I mean, if I were to tell you that this big bank in Chicago is going to be robbed this Saturday at 7 p.m., it's kind of dumb for the robbers to go, oh, 7 p.m., let's go rob the bank, because right. people are looking for it. Uh, more Republicans have signed up to be poll watchers, poll observers, poll judges, and this is all very good because Democrats, as I say in the movie, focus on the mechanics of elections. Uh, Republicans tend to focus only on the campaign, but they don't focus on things like where the drop box is going to be located, right. who's going to take the ballots out, who's going to open the envelope and decide if an ambiguous vote goes this way or that way. So Republicans need to be to participate in the process more, and I think that is happening. It's yeah, a it's chain not of just, custody. It's yeah. not just message, it's mechanics when it comes to campaigns, and you're right, Republicans fall down on the mechanics piece of it. Uh, the... Um, uh, the, the other interesting thing, though, just thinking about this is, um, you know, what happens uh, when something does occur like this investigation in Florida? This is where conservative media uh, and I wouldn't call John Solomon's outlet conservative necessarily. But you know what I'm saying? Alternative media from the legacy media reports these stories so they should be shared and amplified to send the message that, yeah, maybe DOJ won't do anything. But, hey, did you see what happened to that person in Ohio or Texas or Florida or wherever so that people know, hey, you commit uh, violations of campaign laws, of, of election laws, you commit ca uh, election fraud, and there is a good chance you'll be prosecuted. People need to believe that. Yes. And so where Republicans have authority, they need to use it. 
Now, interestingly, in, in places like Pennsylvania, yes, you have a Democratic uh, AG, Attorney General, and yes, you have a Democratic Secretary of State, but you know what? You have a Republican legislature. They can actually fix the system. But to my knowledge, so far, they've made no effort to do that. Uh, in Michigan, the same. So you have these sleepy state-level Republican legislatures. They're just happy to sort of be in power, um, and they're focused on you know something over here and something over there, but on a topic this vital that has to do essentially with the mechanics of democracy itself. And you know, I kind of knew that there was this anti-Trump sentiment out there. And so when I made the film, um, Trump is barely in it. I mean, in 90 minutes of the movie, Trump is maybe right. two minutes of the movie. This is not a film that's about Trump in that sense. It's about, by and large, you know, how do we have free and fair elections and how can we go around calling ourselves a democracy and, you know, calling other countries, oh, you're undermining democracy if we ourselves have this completely broken system here. He is Dinesh D'Souza, critically acclaimed filmmaker and New York Times bestselling author. The book is out. You saw the movie 2000 Mules. Now pick up the book 2000 Mules. They thought we'd never find out they were wrong. Dinesh, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A woman named Ann Lesby is uh, a gender studies professor at some place called ACL University in Roddy, Pennsylvania. But is that, that's not even Division Three. I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't know. You, exactly I'm surprised you don't know, and you don't know what their mascot is. Uh, D1 is oh, my it's limitation. D1. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's also the author of the book apparently anti-racist fetus what pick that up for a stocking stocking stuffer uh she tweeted out recently misgendering a pet can result in serious micro subconscious distress micro subconscious pay attention to clues your pet will let you know his her their seer identity through things like body language toy preferences, and reaction to gendered pet clothing. Hashtag it's pet a g- animal. Sorry. Hashtag pen, pet gender. Hashtag trans pets. Do you want to know uh, some examples of pet body language related Please. to gender identity? Yes. I, I thought you might. Because, you know, I've got two dogs and a cat, so I need to know this. The dog appears happy expressing a feminine gender identity. If this is the case with your pet, try using a series of feminine pronouns and watch their body language. If they seem happier with a particular set of pronouns, use those. But remember that these may change over time. This tabby cat clearly enjoys a masculine gender expression. The tabby cat is dressed up in a the Meow Depot-like work bib. Okay. Sure, she's not insane. 
This tabby clearly enjoys a masculine gender expression. See how the ears are forward and the face looks relaxed and content? It can most likely be assumed that he, they, identifies as male or mask non-binary. Perhaps you own a rabbit. And Leslie has some instruction for you. This rabbit who's dressed in a sweater seems lethargic. Baby blue, I should have mentioned, baby blue sweater. Of course. Baby blue generally represents boys, so it's likely the bunny either feels uncomfortable presenting as male or does not like wearing a material that reminds it of the oppression of its species. Oh, boy. Their caregiver should try other colors and fabrics. Um, I, I could go on, but I, I think you get the point. And, I mean, you know, for your convenience, Anne Lesby, Ph.D., of course she is. Uh, has all sorts of examples with all sorts of pets and all sorts of clues because she is the trans pet whisperer. Is this another reason why Dan Proft is single? Uh, for more on, um, well, not necessarily pet d- gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. but the larger issue back in the sane world, just to give you a, a little bit of a sense of where the vegetarian left will take you if you allow it. Wesley Smith joins us, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. Wesley, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Do we have Wesley? Mr. Smith. Do we have Wesley? We have hey there. Oh, hi. Hey, Wesley. How are you? Good. Um, so I won't uh, have you divine what whether that rabbit in the um, blue sweater is gender dysphoric or there's something else <laughs> going on. Um, but um, in a, on a more serious note, there's another case, and you, you knew it was going to trend this way. There's a case out of Indiana where a couple has uh, lost custody of their kid because they won't affirm the gender to which their child identifies, and the child is now, I guess, suffering from anorexia. And the trial court determined that the, uh, the the anorexia the child is suffering from is a result of the parents not being gender-affirming enough, so there goes their custody. This is where we're at. Yeah, and it's not the first such case I've heard about. I don't know about that particular situation, but in this country... There is this headlong uh, panic, almost moral panic, to to engage children in gender-affirming care, as they call it. But in the U.K., for example, um, they're hitting the brakes. Uh, the NHS actually just published an extraordinary uh, pullback from this gender-affirming care, which it had been uh, uh, pursuing for years. And it has found that often this gender dysphoria in children is what they call transitory. It's a transient phase was the actual term. And that instead of heading headlong into transition, that medics should, quote, take a watchful approach. In other words, let's talk to these kids. Let's let time pass. Let's see what else might be going on. Uh, And uh, it's very interesting that in the UK, in France, in Finland, and in Sweden, the brakes are really being hit on this. And those are not Bible Belt countries. 
No, and 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 and, it, and didn't I mean in the UK they closed that uh, that massive clinic in London because of adverse outcomes from patients, right? Right, because and it wasn't safe, and now there are going to be lawsuits filed uh, in England, a class action suit against what was being done. There was also a scandal since you you brought up that case in terms of autism. Um, oh, that was anorexia. I'm sorry, but in the UK. Yeah. Uh, the uh, there was a scandal because autistic children were being convinced that they were transgender. And of course, autistic children would have less ability oh, to defend themselves. So what we see in the United States with the Biden administration and, and now we're seeing in schools and in some courts is this thrust forward to quickly push kids towards transitioning. No backpedaling, no pause of any substantial time. We're in other parts of the world that are not, you know, deeply conservative. They're saying, I don't think the science backs this up. Let's protect children better. Well, what are the rules? I mean, if somebody, you know, is, say, 11 or 12 years old and they think that they're a boy and they want to get, you know, a double mastectomy and get a hysterectomy, and if the parents don't go along with it, can they still get it done is the question. That's a good question, and, and I think that's all very new. But let me put it this way about California. California has just passed a law that says that if, let's say, Texas uh, outlaws gender-affirming surgeries for minors and a parent steals a kid and goes to California, even though there's been, a let's say, a Texas child custody order granting custody to the other parent, California will refuse to comply. (gasps) So it's kind of become a a, a, a gender dysphoria uh, gender-affirming care um, uh, state that will protect uh, families that want to do and actually allow children to be stolen. It's it's really quite uh, a remarkable turn of events. And this country is dividing along those lines as well. I want, I want your, before we run out of time, I want your listeners to hear something. Um, in I was sent the uh, gender clinic uh, website for the Seattle Children's Hospital about the surgeries they perform on minors. They do not perform genital surgery until they're at least 18, but they do do mastectomies and they do do a radical uh, face surgeries. Let me read this to you. Quote, many different procedures can change the shape of the face to make, to look more feminine or masculine. These are sometimes called facial feminization surgery or facial masculinization surgery. They include forehead reduction, forehead contouring or augmentation, brow lift, frontal sinus setback, facial fat grafting, cheek augmentation, nasal surgery, chin surgery, lower jaw surgery, and others. In other words, children, adolescents, whose faces are still developing, may end up with very serious plastic surgery to try to make the child look more conforming with the gender they think they are. This is really remarkable. And they also will build an Adam's apple or take out an Adam's apple. And, And we're talking about children between ages 12 and 17. There was a study done by some Vanderbilt doctors that said that there were, this was back a few years ago, 500 mastectomies on children between 12 and 17 uh, with the median age at 16. That means half of the surgeries were done under age 16, mastectomies. And I would bet that since that study was a a couple of years old, that there are at least a 1,000 now 
mastectomies being performed. This is a social contagion. These are kids that may change their minds right. by the time they reach maturity, and yet we are rushing to do puberty blocking, which can cause bone uh, stunt bone growth, cross-hormone uh, um, administration, which and, and other things that can cause sterilization. So this is not... Uh, affirming in my view. Now, people will say, well, you don't like, you You hate transgendered people. No, we love them. And that's why this has to be paused and there needs to be a deep and thorough look at what we're doing to kids. Well, you know, we're all Mr. Potato Heads now, it seems to be the approach, but uh, we're seeing videos from people who uh, have detransitioned and they're heartbreaking. Yeah, the Center for Bioethics and Culture has a movie I'll called yeah. detransition diaries and uh, there are a lot of uh, people coming out and the way i think this ends eventually is the oh. lawyers start to smell money and uh, some lawsuits are filed well maybe but the, the flip side is you've got a lot of medical otherwise medical professionals i don't know if they should enjoy that description anymore who recognize that this is a billion-dollar industry moving towards a five-billion-dollar industry because of the social contagion you're talking about. And, you know, the uh, heartbreaking stories of people posting online about being ruined by what they did to themselves and never feeling like they're going to be loved or they can live a normal life. We've played them on the show. They're tragic. Uh, but, you know, that's just those are just, you know, the uh, breaking a few eggs to make an omelet. Sat down. Our president sat down, had an interview with a transgendered individual and said no state should be able to pause this or stop this. That's right. I think it's it's irresponsible and certainly is not um, scientific. It's well, ideological. It, it's also it's also I mean, given those in charge of our political institutions at present and cultural institutions, perhaps in perpetuity, it's what we're exporting. Uh, John Radcliffe, who is the former director of national intelligence, writing about in the Wall Street Journal. In an effort to promote diversity and inclusion, the State Department is funding drag theater performances in Ecuador through cultural grants. The purpose of the grants, according to official documents, is to support the achievement of U.S. foreign policy goals and objectives, advance national interests, and enhance national security. And so Radcliffe asks, how do drag theater performances in Ecuador advance our national interests or national security. They don't. It tells the world who we are so that that spreads this contagion. And by the way, if we're funding drag theater performances now, it won't be long before if depending on who's in charge of the government, it won't be long before we're underwriting the same sort of barbaric procedures in other countries. And it, I think it, um, really harms uh, our ability to promote freedom around the world. Uh, you've already seen Putin saying, look, you want this kind of uh, thing in your country? That's what freedom is. And when it really isn't, it's license. So it's really irresponsible because most of the world, if you take a look at Africa, you take a look at Asia, the Middle East and so forth, are more traditional. They're not Western Europe. They're not the United States. They're not Australia pushing these margins. Uh, on uh, licentious behavior and and to show these images in those more traditional countries is to have those more traditional countries turn away from freedom because they'll think that it will mean social chaos and licentiousness he is wesley smith senior fellow at the discovery institute center on human exceptionalism wesley thanks as always for joining us appreciate it thanks for having me and hello chicago yes thank you so much and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app.
Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan and Amy, we may not have time to talk too much about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Um, the good news is he's already moving to fire some of the senior leadership there, and there's talk of him firing as much as 75% of the workforce. Wow. Um, maybe good reason for that. Here's uh, one Twitter employee's look-see at a day in the life of a Twitter employee. As she was visiting, I think she was visiting from one office to the other. Here was her day at work. See if it mirrors your day at work. Welcome to a day in my life as a Twitter employee. So this past week, went to SF for the first time at a Twitter office, badged in. Honestly, took a moment to just soak everything in. What a blessing. Also, started my morning off with an iced matcha from the perch. Then I had a meeting, so quickly scheduled one of these little pod rooms which were so cool they're literally noise canceling took my meeting got ready for a bunch look how delicious this food looks oh my goodness i was so overwhelmed then made my way down to this log cabin area i don't know what this is but it was really cool played some foosball with my friends to kind of unwind a bit um also found this really cool meditation room that i thought was super neat um, I didn't do any yoga, but they have this yoga room if you were a yogi, so also thought that was really cool. Um, had a couple more meetings in the afternoon, had a ton of projects that we needed to knock out. Say hey to my teammates. Um, <laughs> went to the went to the library to kind of get some more work done. Obviously had to have our afternoon coffee, so made some espresso. And then before leaving for the day, had some red wine um, that's on tap. Went up to the rooftop and just honestly enjoyed the beautiful weather. So awesome trip. Yeah, sounds just like, like it is here. Sounds like a full eight hour day. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, what I got a what did she say a mocha or mocha chapa dapa dapa. I don't to, know to start the day. Then had a meeting. All right, then after one meeting, I prepared for lunch. You and know, the mentally. lunch is a gourmet meal because I've been to these big tech companies. I mean, I, you could live there. It, the, exactly what she showed. It's the bags, I, or then you could play. You know, virtual reality room they have, and then. There's a chef on on staff on site at all times yeah, yeah, to make yeah. you meals. I, the the amenities, yeah, yeah. The, the amenities oh. is one thing. It's fine, it's great. And um, I'm not a Johnny Punch Clock, but the idea that they're, like basically the first two thirds of her day was one meeting, <laughs> because she had lunch and then she had to decompress from lunch by playing foosball and then she was going to the, the meditation room. room and then checking. I mean. So, so you, so you can um, understand if Elon Musk may be looking at this workforce and saying, "I don't think we're getting value for what we're paying. I don't get the, think we're getting one for one, or, or much less a multiplier of value for what we're paying." So, it'd be interesting to see how he restructures that company in addition to who he lets out of Twitter jail back onto. Twitter. I know, and I can't. I'm so excited. He, the first person he fired was a guy who took Trump off of Twitter. So that's a start, I think. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A woman named Ann Lesby is uh, a gender studies professor at some place called ACL University in Roddy, Pennsylvania. But is that, that's not even Division Three. I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't know. You, exactly I'm surprised you don't know, and you don't know what their mascot is. Uh, D1 is oh, my it's limitation. D1. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's also the author of the book, apparently, "Anti-Racist Fetus." What? Pick that up for a stocking stocking stuffer. Uh, she tweeted out recently: "Misgendering a pet can result in serious micro subconscious distress." <sighs> micro subconscious. Pay attention to clues. Your pet will let you know his, her, their seer identity through things like body language, toy preferences, and reaction to gendered pet clothing. Wait, hashtag it's pet a ge- animal. Sorry. Hashtag pen, pet gender. Hashtag trans pets. Do you want to know uh, some examples of pet body language related Please. to gender identity? Yes. I, I thought you might. Because, you know, I've got two dogs and a cat, so I need to know this. The dog appears happy expressing a feminine gender identity. If this is the case with your pet, try using a series of feminine pronouns and watch their body language. If they seem happier with a particular set of pronouns, use those. But remember that these may change over time. This tabby cat clearly enjoys a masculine gender expression. The tabby cat is dressed up in a the Meow Depot, like, work bib. Okay. Sure, she's not insane. This tabby clearly enjoys a masculine gender expression. See how the ears are forward and the face looks relaxed and content? It can most likely be assumed that he, they, identifies as male or mask non-binary. Perhaps you own a rabbit. And Lesby has some instruction for you. This rabbit who's dressed in a sweater seems lethargic. Baby blue, I should have mentioned, baby blue sweater. Of course. Baby blue generally represents boys, so it's likely the bunny either feels uncomfortable presenting as male or does not like wearing a material that reminds it of the oppression of its species. Oh, boy. Their caregiver should try other colors and fabrics. Um, I, I could go on, but... I think you get the point, and I mean, you know, for your convenience, Ann Lesby, Ph.D., of course she is, uh, has all sorts of examples with all sorts of pets and all sorts of clues because she is the trans pet whisperer. Is this another reason why Dan Proft is single? Uh, For more on, um, well, not necessarily pets. gender dysphoria but the larger issue back in the sane world just to give you a a little bit of a sense of where the left will take you if you allow it wesley smith joins us senior fellow at the discovery institute center on human exceptionalism wesley thanks for joining us appreciate it do we have wesley mr smith do we have wesley we have there oh hey wesley how are you Good. Um, so I won't uh, have you divine what whether that rabbit in the um, blue sweater is gender dysphoric or there's something <laughs> else going on. Um, but um, in a, on a more serious note, there's another case, and you, you knew it was going to trend this way. 
there's a case out of Indiana where a couple has uh, lost custody of their kid because they won't affirm the gender to which their child identifies. And the child is now, I guess, suffering from anorexia. And the trial court determined that the, uh, the, the anorexia the child is suffering from is a result of the parents not being gender affirming enough. So there goes their custody. This is where we're at. Yeah, and it's not the first such case I've heard about. I don't know about that particular situation. But in this country, there's this headlong uh, panic, almost moral panic, to to engage children in gender-affirming care, as they call it. But in the U.K., for example, um, they're hitting the brakes. Uh, the NHS actually just published an extraordinary uh, pullback from this gender-affirming care, which it had been uh, uh, pursuing for years. And it has found that often this gender dysphoria in children is what they call transitory. It's a transient phase was the actual term. And that instead of heading headlong into transition, that medics should, quote, take a watchful approach. In other words, let's talk to these kids. Let's let time pass. Let's see what else might be going on. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting that in the UK, in France, in Finland, and in Sweden, the brakes are really being hit on this. And those are not Bible Belt countries. No, and and, and, the- and, it, and didn't, I mean, in the UK, they closed that, uh, that massive clinic in London because of adverse outcomes from patients, right? Right, because and it wasn't safe, and now there are going to be lawsuits filed uh, in England, a class action suit against what was being done. There was also a scandal since you you brought up that case in terms of autism. Um, oh, that was anorexia. I'm sorry, but in the UK, yeah. uh, the uh, there was a scandal because autistic children were being convinced that they were transgender. And, of course, autistic children would have less ability to defend themselves. So what we see in the United States with the Biden administration and and now we're seeing in schools and in some courts is this thrust forward to quickly push kids towards transitioning. No backpedaling, no pause of any substantial time. We're in other parts of the world that are not you know, deeply conservative. They're saying, I don't think the science backs this up. Let's protect children better. Well, what are the rules? I mean, if somebody, you know, is, say, 11 or 12 years old and they think that they're a boy and they want to get, you know, a double mastectomy and get a hysterectomy, and if the parents don't go along with it, can they still get it done is the question. That's a good question, and and I think that's all very new. But let me put it this way about California. California has just passed a law that says that if, let's say, Texas uh, outlaws gender-affirming surgeries for minors— and a parent steals a kid and goes to California, even though there's been, a let's say, a Texas child custody order granting custody to the other parent, California will refuse to comply. <gasps> so it's be kind of become a, trend, uh, a, a, a gender dysphoria, uh, gender-affirming care um, uh, state that will protect uh, families that want to do and actually allow children to be stolen. It's it's really quite uh, a remarkable turn of events, and this country is dividing along those lines as well. I want I want your 
before we run out of time, I want your listeners to hear something. Um, in I was sent the uh, gender clinic uh, website for the Seattle Children's Hospital about the surgeries they perform on minors. They do not perform genital surgery until they're at least 18, but they do do mastectomies and they do do a radical uh, face surgeries. Let me read this what? to you. Quote, many different procedures can change the shape of the face to make to look more feminine or masculine. These are sometimes called facial feminization surgery or facial masculinization surgery. They include forehead reduction, forehead contouring or augmentation, brow lift, frontal sinus setback, facial fat grafting, cheek augmentation, nasal surgery, chin surgery, lower jaw surgery, and others. In other words, children, adolescents whose face, faces are still developing may end up with very serious plastic surgery to try to make the child look con more conforming with the gender they think they are. Oh, this is really remarkable. And they also will build an Adam's apple or take out an Adam's oh. apple. And, and we're talking about children between ages 12 and 17. There was a study done by some Vanderbilt doctors that said that there were, this was back a few years ago, 500 mastectomies on children between 12 and 17 uh, with the median age at 16. That means half of the surgeries were done under age 16, mastectomies. And I would bet that since that study was a, a couple of years old, that there are at least a thousand now mastectomies being performed. This is a social contagion. These are kids that may change their minds right. by the time they reach maturity and yet we are rushing to do puberty blocking which can cause bone uh, stunt bone growth cross hormone uh, um, administration which and other things that can cause sterilization so this is not uh, affirming in my view now people will say well you don't like you you hate transgendered people no we love them and that's why this has to be paused and there needs to be a deep and thorough look at what we're doing to kids well you know we're all mr potato heads now it seems to be the approach but uh we're seeing videos from people who uh have detransitioned and they're heartbreaking yeah, the center for bioethics and culture has a movie all called yeah. detransition diaries and uh, there are a lot of uh people coming out and the way i think this ends eventually is the oh. lawyers start to smell money and uh, some lawsuits are filed. Well, maybe, but the, the flip side is you've got a lot of medical, otherwise medical professionals, I don't know if they should enjoy that description anymore, who recognize that this is a billion-dollar industry moving towards a $5 billion industry because of the social contagion you're talking about. And, you know, the uh, heartbreaking stories of people posting online about being ruined by what they did to themselves and never feeling like they're going to be loved or they can live a normal life. We've played them on the show. They're tragic. Uh, but, you know, that's just those are just, you know, the uh, breaking a few eggs to make an omelet. Sat down, our president sat down, had an interview with a transgendered individual and said no state should be able to pause this or stop this. That's right. I think it's, it's irresponsible and certainly is not um, scientific. It's well, ideological. It, it's also it's also I mean, given those in charge of our political institutions at present and cultural institutions, perhaps in perpetuity, it's what we're exporting. Uh, John Radcliffe, who is the former director of national intelligence writing about in the Wall Street Journal, 
In an effort to promote diversity and inclusion, the State Department is funding drag theater performances in Ecuador through cultural grants. The purpose of the grants, according to official documents, is to support the achievement of U.S. foreign policy goals and objectives, advance national interests, and enhance national security. And so Radcliffe asks, how do drag theater performances in Ecuador advance our national interests or national security? They don't. It tells the world who we are so that it spreads this contagion. And by the way, if we're funding drag theater performances now, it won't be long before, if depending on who's in charge of the government, it won't be long before we're underwriting the same sort of barbaric procedures in other countries. And it, I think it um, really harms uh, our ability to promote freedom around the world. Uh, you've already seen Putin saying, look, you want this kind of uh, thing in your country? That's what freedom is. And when it really isn't, it's license. So it's really irresponsible because most of the world, if you take a look at Africa, you take a look at Asia, the Middle East and so forth, are more traditional. They're not Western Europe. They're not the United States. They're not Australia pushing these margins uh, on uh, licentious behavior. And, and to show these images in those more traditional countries is to have those more traditional countries turn away from freedom because they'll think that it will mean social chaos and licentiousness. He is Wesley Smith, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. Wesley, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and hello, Chicago. Yes, thank you so much. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Beautiful lies and unacceptable truths. That's the decision, (laughs) isn't it? Well, we're getting it it from a national level, state level, local level. Yeah. Yeah. One of the beautiful lies that Joe Biden tells, there are so many is that uh, gas prices have been reduced under his watch, literally. And I'm not saying they've been they've reduced recently uh, from historic highs. I'm saying reduced in absolute terms since he took office. That's what he says. Price of gas in America is three dollars and thirty nine cents down from over five dollars when I took office. It was not five dollars when he took office. This is just an objective fact. It was two dollars and thirty nine cents. So, but some dumb, dumb okay. Democrats are believing that bull jive. They oh, well, he everything. said it. It must be true. Lies, lies, and more lies. So, Stacey Abrams down in Georgia, boy, it's going to be a real treat to see her get demolished. Uh, she's going to lose by a larger margin than she did four years ago. Good. And she can also not accept the results of this forthcoming election, and we'll just all move on, and her star will fade. Thank goodness. Stacey Abrams at a campaign event promising that uh, everybody there will be fortunate enough to get a picture with her. But uh, there's two categories of people in terms of what they must do in order to get a picture with Stacey Abrams. Now, they're inside a campaign office or an office for a campaign event. Yeah. They're about to go outside. Okay? We got a big old bus outside. So what we're going to do is you're going to let me... And our team and our folks, we're going to go out first, and then they're going to direct you outside, and I promise them to take a picture of every single one of you. Cool. 
if you're over 18, you've got to socially distance for social media. If you're under 18, you're probably too cute for that, so I'm going to stand right next to me. Oh, my. Who the? What? Social distance for social media. That is the most honest phrase I've heard from a COVIDian in a long time. Go through these protocols because we're posting them on social media. Mm-hmm. This is important for marketing purposes only. If you're over 18, social distance for social media in the picture. If you're so under I'm 18. Not ex- so I'm not exposed as a hypocrite yet again. And if you're under 18, then, you know, we'll give you a pass. There's no social distancing rules in the state of Georgia. There's no COVID rules in place. This what is, is wrong with these people? This is, this is now a mental illness. This is who they are. Ugh, it is sickening. a fraud perpetrated on a credulous, the credulous percentage of the public for the purposes of power. I mean, is it, isn't it obvious? It's not to some. You'd be surprised. For more on the topic, we're pleased to be joined by Kevin Freeman. He's the host of the Economic War Room on Blaze TV. He's also uh, the author of the new book uh, that uh, uh, focuses on the elites, like those two we've just heard from. According to plan, the elites plan to sabotage America. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you, Amy. Yeah. So, um, you know, the the elites plan to sabotage America. Um, Yeah, I mean, they're executing it flawlessly to this point, it seems. Well, yeah, not not entirely flawlessly. We're seeing it uh, thrown on us. But good people like you uh, waking up Chicago and other places are pointing out the truth and people are beginning to wake up and we have a red wave that's happening. But, yes, they have a multi-decade-long plan to take over our country and turn us into a Marxist state with them as the pigs leading everything like animal farms. Well, I mean, you know, but part of this is like, you know, these uh, there's this evil cabal that has a plan. You know, part of it, I'm I'm always skeptical of these sort of uh, global uh, conspiracies or or even national conspiracies because they're just not that competent. These are not all super talented people. They may be diabolical people, but they're not super talented. And normally you need the combination of the two to affect a sort of uh, surreptitious takeover of the country. So, um, you know, when you say plan to turn us into a Marxist state, is what you're really saying, look, they just gain control of the cultural and civic institutions that hold so much sway over the public and they advance their ideology relentlessly. That's their big plan. Yeah, and that is the plan. Actually, it's the long march through the institutions, whether you take over the school boards and you take over the education institutions or whether you take over the media. Uh, you, you name the banking institutions, the World Economic Forum, and the, the investing institutions, and they've slowly but surely taken them over uh, to where you know there's a pushback with Twitter, potentially with Elon Musk, but with social media, when you tell the truth on social media and you get banned for telling the truth, or when PayPal floats the idea that uh, if you say the wrong thing, we'll just take $2,500 straight out of your account, oh these are the means by which they're executing their plan. And what is and, your – oh, sorry, Dan, go on. Well, and so then, uh, of course, there's two questions that are related. One uh, – where has the common sense center right been while they've been executing their plan and taking over these institutions? How did we allow this to happen? And number two, what do we need to do if it's even possible to reverse this path? Yeah, well, the, the first problem is, is that those on the free market side 
we tend to say, hey, let's be about business and go make some money and take care of our families. We don't focus on nefarious, I want to dominate the world and control what other people think, act, and do. Uh, so, you know, we, we've been busy about our business, and they've been busy about their plotting. And you see this in other great nations that fall to totalitarianism, and then you end up in points of severe crisis. Uh, never let a serious crisis go to waste, like Weimar Germany did with the mass inflation, or like we would here uh, if um, if the Supreme Court hadn't ruled against the OSHA mandate. You know, can you imagine we would be forcibly injecting everyone with uh, the vaccine? And if you objected or said anything, you're ostracized from society. You know, fortunately, the American institution has uh, checks and balances put in by the founders in the Constitution. So the judiciary, thank God, has the ability to stand up and say, no, wait, you're not allowed to do that. But we see executive orders. We're going to forgive all these student loans, and we're, we're going to do it, and we're going to tax you for it, and we're going to make you pay for it over the long term. We see all of this effort by elites to take control, and it's the Nancy Pelosi sitting in her house during COVID restrictions showing off her uh, freezer with these $10 a pint ice cream. Well, let's talk more about the student debt relief plan because you compared it to you know, a blatant attempt to bribe voters before an election. Yeah, that, there's no question that, that if I can take somebody else's money and give it to you, uh, that is an attempt to bribe. I, it's using taxpayer dollars without congressional approval. You know, they, They've tried to compare it and say, well, you're hypocrites if you took the, the um, Paycheck Protection Program and got forgiveness. No, that was passed by Congress, duly passed by representatives who have control of the purse. Uh, And it was in a moment of crisis. What Joe Biden has done here is just said, I'm going to give you this relief and and I'm going to give it to you right before the midterms so that you realize how good I am. We're going to cut, you know, cut down enforcement of marijuana laws. We're going to do all of these things by executive fiat, just ignoring the way that our government's established in order to win the hearts and minds of young voters so that they'll, you know, um, do what he thinks is the right thing and vote more socialist into office. Well, if uh, this election turns out to be a good one for Republicans, as it seems to, uh, as the the polling seems to be indicating right now, then what what kind of coordinated effort would you like to see at, from state level and federal level Republicans, even if they don't, even if Republicans obviously won't have the White House? What should they be doing from a policy agenda perspective to address the uh, loss of cultural and civic institutions? Well, first, that we should return back to the Constitution. Um, first thing I, I recommend in the book is that we should have the Serve the People Act. If you're an elected representative, you are not our ruler. You are a public servant. You hold an office, and your duty is to uphold the Constitution. So uh, we propose an act there. Uh, you know, I don't know how realistic it is that politicians would do it, but it's what they ought to do, which is saying things, simple things like I'll read every bill that we um, that we pass and make sure that it aligns with the Constitution. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's uh, what we should expect from our uh, congressional representatives. We we should want these same people to not only do that, but to live under the same laws that they put prescribed for us. So if they say, uh, you know, you're going to all be under this health care rule, well, then they have to be under that, too. They can't exempt themselves, as has often been the case. No, And they shouldn't get paid 
if they don't do take good care of the people's money. So maybe they don't get their paycheck if the balance, budget doesn't get balanced over time. These are the kind of simple things that they ought to do, returning to the Constitution, which is a limited government format. And the most limited government is supposed to be the federal government. All the rest of the power is reserved to the states and or the people. What about uh, forcing them to divest uh, and not be able to invest uh, when it comes to markets? In other words, they can have they effectively would not have any ability to leverage their positions for outside income while they're in office. Absolutely correct. And that's actually in the book, too. It's one of my pet peeves is that. Uh, they can inside trade knowing what they're going to vote on, and they can make themselves wealthy in the process, as the Pelosi's have done, as, as Harry Reid did before them. And so many, both Republicans and Democrats, tend to profit from their time in Congress. They go to Washington claiming to be public servants, and when they retire or exit, they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and their entire life was supposedly public service. And we know what their salaries are. There's no way they should be that wealthy. He is Kevin Freeman. He's the host of the Economic War Room on Blaze TV. The new book, uh, According to Plan, The Elite's Plan to Sabotage America. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. They can get the book at accordingtoplanbook.com, and if they use the code EWR, it's buy one, get one free. Okay, accordingtoplanbook.com. Accordingtoplanbook.com. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Open mic Friday. Dan and Amy, it's that time of the week. Open mic Friday, taking your calls with comments, compliments, criticisms, general crack pottery. And this week, featuring penis jokes, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Amy, if I can bring the joy of penis jokes to just one person, I'll have done my work here. Well, I wanted to talk about something, but it's kind of sad, so now I'm like... Well, wait, uh, can we clear the penis jokes first? Please, yes. All right, before we have a mood change. Uh, Hans in Maryville, Missouri. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hello. But uh, Dan, good morning. Uh, I'm hoping Amy can help us out with this. Uh, what's about uh, six inches long? Has a big head and drives women crazy. Um, tell us. Help, tell us. <laughs> Hundred dollar bill. Hi all. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Uh. You got me on that one. Mike, Austin, Texas. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I was working a job in San Diego earlier this year at clinic, and I was playing the podcast from sometime in March when you told the joke, Dan, about the bug. Uh, actually, it was a uh, dildo that fell out of a dumpster okay. and onto a windshield. Oh my God. And my staff was back there giving me morning instructions and a briefing, and they heard that, and they, they thought it was some kind of comedy channel. I said, no, this is Chicago radio. It's typical conservative and, talk radio, right. And they, they, they were blown away. You know, being in politically correct San Diego, uh, it was not something they expected to hear, but I think you're going to have a very hard time topping uh, the um, 
joke that you told back in March. And I think that was in response to Lori Lightfoot saying she had the biggest member in uh, Chicago. Biggest schlong in town. Yeah. Can we revisit that joke? What was the joke? Do you remember it? I'm not sure I remember it. I mean, there's so many penis yes. jokes I've run, run through. Yeah. Yes. It was a lady who was driving her daughter to school, and uh, they were following a trash uh, truck. And out of the trash truck, a dildo comes out, and it hits their windshield and stays there for a few seconds and falls off. And the girl was looking just uh, shocking, shocked. And the mother goes, oh, don't worry, honey. It was just a bug. And she said, well, the reason I'm shocked is I didn't think it could fly with such a big dong. <laughs> I do like that one, if I do say it so myself. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Mike. Do you remember <laughs> telling that it. one? I yeah, vaguely I remember it. Yeah. I do now. That's a, You know, again, I mean, I have uh, such an oeuvre of, pe- uh, in the, you know, when it comes to uh, scatological jokes uh, it's difficult to remember them all that's why we I rely on listeners so yeah okay great mm. all right we'll take more of your um scatological jokes if you'd like but but amy you wanted to well now i mean shift gears uh, something emotional sad well poignant. yesterday during the press conference with with pritzker i you know i said you know you have to agree that we don't live in a civilized society 298 kids shot so far this year in chicago 41 dead including that cute little seventh grade, uh, seven-year-old boy who was a second grader, Akeem Briscoe. And here's his uncle, by the way, because he was supposed to be on a field trip today. He was waiting to go on a field trip today. He asked, he asked, he asked me, oh, you should come with me. I can't go with him. And Governor Pritzker, thinking, I'm, I, I don't know why I think things will be different. I thought he would apologize or give condolences to the mom in this horrible situation, what happened to that seven-year-old boy. Instead, he, he, said, control. he said, that no, 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 bashing Bailey. Uh, here's what we've done at the state level to support. Uh, we've increased the, the number of state police. Yeah, yeah, Darren wow. Bailey voted against that. Uh, we've I mean, increased what? the crime labs and investing in crime labs. Yeah, I know, but, he's, but that's, uh, here's what I'm trying to stop it. At the stop state it. Level stop to, it. Okay. But... He has zero compassion, guys and ladies out there. Zero. He doesn't, or and if he does, he doesn't know how to empathize. He's not. He should not be reelected into office. He does not go through the same experiences that we go through, and that he doesn't suffer through the same hardships that we suffer through. I just thought that was very telling. I, I was just. I shouldn't have been disappointed, but I was. Uh, something else. He does have one hardship. He hasn't seen his penis in about fifty oh. years. <laughs> Pete in River North, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Dan, Andy, how you doing? How you doing? Good. Good. Uh, what did the left testicle say to the right testicle? What did the left testicle say to the right testicle, Peter? I don't know why they're hanging us. The big guy in the middle did all the shooting. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> was pretty good. Uh, all right, I guess we have to get serious. Jan in Hoffman Estates. Hey, Jan. Jan, Hoffman Estates. Maybe she was turned off by the penis humor. <laughs> All right, hold on, we'll hold on. Uh, Rose in Lamont, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi there, I want to talk about the Illinois Horway that we drive up and down. And before the uh, COVID, they had more people that, you know, a platoon of people working. COVID hits, and where are they? 
I would like to ask JoJo Wirepoints to find out, are they still on the payroll uh, or were they let go? Because what, what are they doing with those side buildings? There's cars there all the time. Just turn them into whorehouses. Well, we don't. I mean. Oh, you mean that's what you're, you're suggesting? That's what we do? Like get fast track? Well, they're screwing pro- us. Oh. Just driving by and might as well pull over. Yeah, and you're right. I, I haven't seen a tollway employee since 2020. March I think the I think the change ma- came back. the change makers are working remotely. You just have to Venmo them. Oh, that's so right. That, you, know, you have to. Hmm. I like uh, talking Tony, to the tollway workers. Tony Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. My lamby lamb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got a I got a penis joke for you. Good. A man in a hotel lobby turns and goes to the front desk, but he turns around and accidentally bumps into a woman beside him, and his elbow bumps into her breast. Right. So they're both quite startled, and a man turns to her and says, Ma'am, if your heart is as soft as your breast, I know you'll forgive me. She replies back to him, If your penis is as hard as your elbow, I'm in room 436. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Hmm. Yeah, I could get this on very many Salem stations, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it wasn't my idea. That's plausible no, deniability. Don't exactly, be looking right. at this girl. Stay clear of the blast zone. Oof. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Rich in Indian Head Park. Yeah, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Uh, this is for Amy. Amy, when do you think women are going to start protesting against transgender men in women's sports the same way they protest about abortion rights? I don't think there's enough pushback at uh, uh, the uh, the women against uh, men competing in their sports. No, I, I agree. Kind of answer for that? I really I wanted to hear a joke, Rich. Do you have any jokes at all? <laughs> I mean, eventually they'll push back, but it has to be more than just, you know, one here, one there. Any jokes, Rich? What do you do for fun? Rich? No, I don't have any jokes. All right. Rich is a serious guy. That's right. Thanks for the call, Rich. Larry in Elmhurst. Hey, uh, before my joke, the, the employees are still getting paid, even though they're not working. Um, two potatoes standing on the corner. Which one's the prostitute? Oh, that's a good one. Two potatoes standing on the corner. Which one's the prostitute? I don't know, Larry. The one that says Idaho. Hi oh. <laughs> I think I did hear that in that's third grade. That's a dad grade. joke. That is that is a no, bad dad joke. No, that's a dad joke. You can't say Idaho. You're a dad. I mean, it's a dad joke I've if your kids before. are adults. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah, if your kids are of age, maybe. Yeah, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Do you Bill have any Elgin. more jokes, Dan? I got so many jokes. Bill and Elgin. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Love you guys. Hey, I just wanted to uh, let you know I would like to see an investigation, actually, of how Pete Buttigieg is now a millionaire when during the primary uh, debates he was actually saying he was the only one on stage that wasn't a millionaire millionaire yeah. during the wine cave conversation. So he had two books. <laughs> I'm right. wondering who bought up those books for uh, access. During the wine cave, the infamous wine cave confrontation. That's great. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the I call, Bill. The wine cave com- I forget the wine cave. Frank, Northwest Side. We've got to get to jokes. Okay, sorry. Jeez. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good morning. I just uh, got a short one for you today. Hi-o. Uh What do you call Moby Dick's father? What do you call uh, Moby Boulder. Dick's father? Mr. Dick. Know. Oh. Hey, Dick Bigger, Jr., the <laughs> farmer from... Central Illinois. Wherever he is. Hey, no, what do you call him, Frank? Uh, Papa Boner. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, I don't All right. know. That was I, we started out with some pretty good ones. Now we're sort of reverting well, back to like high, like grade school cloakrooms. Well, what about but, you? Do you have another one, Dan? Or am I putting too much pressure on you? I'm 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 wilting under the pressure. <laughs> uh, Terry Rogers Park. Uh, this this is not funny what I'm going to say, but yeah. I, I did like your jokes. <laughs> oh, good. Hey, if Terry likes our penis James. jokes, then we're in a, we're in a safe space. I know, I know, I know. Uh, this this is about our border. Uh, since we're so overburdened with uh, migration from South America, uh, we should put a complete stop to even in allowing uh, legal immigration from South America for about twenty years. All right, Terry. Tom in Naperville. Hi. Uh, uh, there's a, uh, as you would know, Dan, there's a statue in, I believe, Brussels called the Mannequin Piss. And oh. as uh, Cliff Clavin would say, you know, it's a, a little known fact that the uh, penis on the Mannequin Piss is uh, 11 inches long. You know why? Why is that? Because if, it were 12 in- because if it were 12 inches, it would be a foot. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, Tom. Uh all right, we're gonna uh let's get be ready here at the uh with the dump button. Be ready with the trigger. Jay in Chicago, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Hey, this is Jay Humble Park. So a uh, guy walks in with a tattoo parlor and uh says, I wanna have a hundred dollar bill tattoo to my organ. Uh the artist goes, Okay, I'll do it, but I, I gotta know why. So he goes, Okay, three reasons. One, I like having my money close to me. I like to feel that my money is always there. Uh, two, as, as I grow, I want to know that my money is also growing. And three, next time the old lady wants to go and blow $100, well. Hello. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. We, I'm sure we dumped out of that. Should have seen that one coming up the right, Chicago River. Thanks for the call, Jay. Appreciate it. Uh, oh, boy. Sarah in Glenview. I was my last show. Uh, it's election season, and Duckworth and Raja are up for election, and they have these adorable cutesy ads. Yeah. I remember them. I have a long memory how they acted at the Kavanaugh hearings when they had the microphone. I was so embarrassed. I wanted to crawl under a table. I was embarrassed as an Illinoisan that these people are representing me. Thanks for All the right, call, so don't Sarah. forget and go vote. A week from Tuesday already. Wow. Uh, Chris in Aurora. Oh, Chris, Chris Lousen running for King County Treasurer. Yes. Hi, Dan and Amy. Uh, you know, your, your audience really deeply appreciates your good work. Uh, I've got my 120 life out and take balance in nature later on go. today. And sleep but on I a white pillow. You're all set. you got a great that's life. It. I want to make sure that the joke is not on the uh, King County taxpayers. I'm running for treasurer. It, not only you run the office, but you manage the money, uh, uh, earnings on $250 million, and you pro- provide accurate information, uh, financial information, to the taxpayers and the board. The problem that we're facing is underperformance uh, on the uh, $250 million uh, that we have in the treasury. Last year, there was only one half of one penny uh, per year interest. This year, it's $1.88, uh, so less than two cents per year. But in this year's budget, one cent on the dollar uh, is all they're holding out when six-month T-bills are at four and a quarter. So 
If your investment advisor was producing that result, what would you do? You'd look to make a change. So my background is CPA in Illinois, Harvard MBA. My wife and I started and built and sold a successful accounting practice, served in the state center for 20 years, opponent of all these terrible pension policies. And then eight years, I served as the King County Board Chairman, Chief Administrator. And during that time, we froze the property tax levy, paid down the debt by 70%, fully funded the pensions at uh, 99%, and 100% transparency. So um, they're about to try to pass a, a $16 million deficit spending budget. They're going to reduce our funds, literally, uh, this was at the Finance Committee on Wednesday, by $123 million um, after another $15 million deficit spend last year. So um, running to correct that, um, today I'm going to send out a press release calling on the county board to raise their artificially low projection, raise it by $2 million so that they don't have to deficit spend and use up our money. All right. All right, very good. Chris Lousen for Kane County Treasurer. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, ending underperformance in Kane County, which is consistent with our theme of this Open Mic Friday. Uh, yeah, Chris Lousen, conservative reform state senator, Kane, Kane County Board Chairman. Maybe that's a bellwether race for the suburbs, too. Doug in Oswego. Yes, Amy, if you had an 11-inch penis sticking straight out of your forehead, how much of it could you see? I don't think I could see it. I don't know. You're right. And your balls would be in the way. Uh, <laughs> wow. Good morning. It's graphic. Cheryl in Midway. Hi. Did you hear that Bozo was murdered? His balls, I mean, his legs were found in the river, his arms in the lake, and his balls in bucket number six. <laughs> That's such a local joke, but I... All right, Cheryl. The locals. Uh, to go from the ridiculous to the more ridiculous, we close with Chuck from Delavan. Chuck? Hey, everybody come to the Abbey tomorrow night. Uh, I'm going to have my inaugural ball. It's going to be early. There's six students flying in from the New York School of Journalism, graduate students. They ran a poll out there because their congressman's running independent also, but he was doing portals. I didn't. They said they, they polled everybody in District 1. They said, I won. So I'm having my inaugural ball early. Uh, I don't know if you heard or not, but yesterday on Sean Thompson's show, I was endorsed by Donald Trump. I don't know if you heard that or not. So, uh, I, I think that's fake news. Thanks for the culture. I, I literally don't understand a word Chuck said this time, but I would warn him, you know, to you start hanging around with a bad crowd like NYU journalism students, bad things are going to happen, so be careful, Chuck. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.